episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Olivia, and this is the podcast for all you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, a nonprofit education and advocacy group bringing together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, I'm very excited about this. I know Olivia is too, but we have Travis Fong, who is the uh, co-founder of Yegg Garden Suites here in Edmonton. Um, Travis, uh, he's not from Edmonton, but he moved to Edmonton after graduating from Dalhousie University with a BA Honours in Sustainability and Political Science, minored in Economics, took that minor and turned it into a master's degree in economics from the University of Waterloo. All of his studies focused on the efficiency and growth of cities from an environmental and financial sustainability lens. Um, After his degree, he worked on uh, multiple development projects, most notably some affordable seniors housing projects and some renewable energy projects. And then in 2017, he co-founded Yegg Garden Suites, which is what we focus on in our episode today. Um, Through their policy advocacy and citizen empowerment, Empowerment. Um, Yeg Garden Suites has supported over tens of millions of dollars of homeowner-led investment into this um, kind of unique and emerging housing form. Um, by understanding the policy framework, the economic underpinnings behind Edmonton's larger development strategy, uh, that, that helped serve the organization well as they proposed changes and alterations to regulations that were kind of arbitrarily restrictive and reduced um, kind of the outcomes for backyard housing in Edmonton. And they're now among the strongest in North America, which is what we talk about in the episode. Um, Travis is serving as the president and executive director of Yard Garden Suites, and he strives to deliver extraordinary value to homeowners who are considering making an investment in their own backyards. Before we get into today's episode, we have a couple of definitions we wanted to define. The first one is permitted and discretionary use. Um, so you ask, what is a use? So let's talk about that first. A use is defined as activity in the zoning bylaw that is allowed or prohibited in certain locations, and they are restricted to occur in specific zones. So a permitted use are business activities that are likely able to operate in that zone. If your business activity is listed in in a zone's permitted use, you will still need to apply for a development permit or zoning approval to obtain city confirmation that your business can operate in this location. A discretionary use are business activities that may be able to operate in the zone. So after you have submitted a development permit or zoning approval, the city staff will typically initiate a process to to determine whether your business will be permitted to operate in that zone. Second thing we have to define, um, we talk about it a little bit, but the condominiumization of garden suites. So this is something that's that's fairly new. Um, and Travis talks about it quite a bit in the episode. But th- what this would mean is that um, kind of backyard housing, garage, garden suites would be on their own separate title, um, separate from the principal dwelling on the parcel. So um, whoever, like, let's say that there's a house on the parcel and then the owners of that house built a, a garden suite in the back, that garden suite could actually be separately titled and sold to an, to another owner. Um, all the other lands on the property would be common space. So it'd be very similar to how kind of semi-detached or row housing uh, situations with condominiumization of, of, of those titles would work where each u- each owner owns their unit and then the area the land that they all sit on collectively is the common area. So I'm excited to see where this goes. I have very little experience with it. So this is a kind of a, a short definition, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see how this goes. Uh, lastly, we talked a little bit about the open data portal, which is a fantastic uh, resource that the city of Edmonton has won tons of awards on. Um, sometimes it's a little bit hard to use. Olivia, have you used it at all for anything? It's not Slim Maps, is it, Ryan? No, this is something different. This is the open data portal. So you can find lots of similar information, but yeah, it's uh, it's not the same. Cool, because I, I, if it's interactive, an interactive map is always really useful. So I've not used it yet, Ryan. Let me tell you about it. So the map is fantastic. So I, I went in after Travis was talking about it and, and looked up, because you can see every single garden suite and garage suite that's been approved in Edmonton. Um, so the first one was somewhere around like 2016 or maybe a little bit earlier than that. Um, but anyways, if I, I'm going to give you some trivia here, Olivia. So what neighborhood in Edmonton do you think has the most garden suites in it? Just raw number. I'm going to guess somewhere in 
the South, like Richie. Richie has a very high number, but they're not even in the top three. No, the number one, there's 48 um, out of the 725 garden suites that are on this list in Open City, uh, Open Data Portal, 48 of them are in Griesbaugh. Griesbaugh. Very interesting. Uh, number two is Westmount. They got 31. And number three is Rosenthal, which is a really suburban neighborhood in Edmonton's like deep west. So I found that kind of fascinating. Um, let me ask you another question. Yeah. What is the most expensive garden suite in the city of Edmonton? How much does it cost construction value? Oh, man. You're an architect. You should be dialed in. I have a, I get different quotes from different builders, <laughs> depending who you go to. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, I'm going to give you a range. Okay. I am thinking between 800,000 to a million. The most expensive. Uh, you're way off, but I one day hope to be in a garden suite that you design if that's what it costs, because that would be a spectacular <laughs> garden suite. The, the most expensive one in Edmonton, according to this open city, uh, open data portal is 349,600. Um, that's one in Greasebot, just so you know, but yes. So, uh, we have a little bit of ways to go and I'm sure it's because of size requirements or whatever, but yeah, someday I hope that you design a garden suite that, that is in the million dollar range. No, actually, clearly Ryan, I just, uh, I'm like you, this is not my area of expertise and I'm yeah. very excited to talk to Travis about garden suites and learn more. I agree. Let's talk to somebody shaping our city. So our guest today is Travis Fong. Um, he's originally from Halifax, moved to Edmonton after graduating from Dalhousie University with a uh, undergraduate degree, also got a master's degree in economics from the University of Waterloo. Uh, after that, he co-founded Yeg Garden Suites, which is a local nonprofit that functions mostly as an advocacy, education, and awareness organization, supporting the densification of Edmonton through homeowner-driven development. And we're very excited to have them on because through their work, Yet Garden Suites has supported some significant growth in Edmonton for garden suites in this housing type. Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I want to ask, first of all, um, you're from Halifax. Well, how, how did you end up in the West? Well, uh, really, it goes back to uh, doing my undergrad, College of Sustainability with Dalhousie University. Um, that's where I met my partner, Ashley Salvador, and we really got to know each other over those years, and I came out with her once we finished up school. Okay, so she's from here then. Is that what you're saying? And then yeah, you followed a girl out here? I followed a girl. You know, it's a classic story, and uh, that's how I ended up in Edmonton. Nice. Classic rom-com. I love that. Um, and then how did your, your background in, um, you know, poli-sci and economics, how did that kind of lead you to, to Edmonton as well? Like, was, was there a lot of job opportunities when you got here or? Yeah, you know, I was really interested in sustainability and Edmonton's a booming city in the heart of oil country. Uh, and obviously, there's a lot to do with the urban form here as well that you can think about. So really a kind of a new city, whereas Halifax is is kind of old and it's it's interesting to come to a new place where you could really be part of a, a changing and dynamic environment. So that was uh, very attractive for me and part of the sales job that, that my partner was making. As, as was mentioned in the intro, you know, I studied sustainability and political science at Dalhousie University. And that's where I met Ashley, who was studying uh, sociology and sustainability. So we kind of had that that same background and she was really interested in housing. I was really interested in cities and we were both thinking about urbanization and how that would uh, play a role in some of the challenges that our society was facing and was going to face over the next century. And with her interest in housing, uh, eventually it became an interest for, for her honors thesis to study garden suites. And that put her in a position where she was learning all about all the different angles for garden suites and facets to how they affect housing and society. And we were spending a lot of time thinking about them and how they were related to social and environmental and economic sustainability. Um, and I was studying deeply related topics at the time and Ashley can be pretty compelling making arguments. And so we were having a lot of fun uh, learning about garden suites. And then um, when we came out to Edmonton, she was completing her thesis work with a survey 
of every single garden suite in Edmonton. So we were going around town and she was talking to all of these people, um, learning about their stories um, and really learning about who, who the people building suites were, who the builders who were helping them do that were, um, community members who were interested in it but didn't really know what was going on. And we learned about a lot of the gaps in the space. And that was something that was exciting for us because it was a, a space we could kind of fill. Wow. So it, it sounded like a lot of work to go out and to do that uh, and to ask and, you know, listen to people's stories. How long did that, how long did that take? Was it a three-year process or what did it just, you know, you guys were very dedicated for one year? Yeah, I mean, actually, I think she did it in, in a handful of months, a couple of months is going door to door. At the time, there were, I think, about 150 suites or today were a little closer to 750. So that that would hit those many year numbers. But today, at the time, uh, it was kind of a more manageable number. But we were we were all about town, going from place to place, looking on open data and finding the addresses, searching around. Is this the spot? I don't know. It looks like there could be a suite. And knocking on their doors. Hey, so you've got one of these uh, buildings back here. Can, can we ask you about it? Um, that was a lot of fun. So I was kind of a, a bystander to her research and ended up, you know, hearing the stories, going into the, the suites. And, and from there, um, we really started to get passionate about this housing forum. Because when you're meeting these people too, um, the at the time it was there was a, a lot of challenges associated with building one. So the people who got through that process were very passionate as well. So when you're, when you're a passionate person running into a bunch of other passionate people, uh, that can be an exciting feeling. So, um, I, I th- you know, in collecting all the data and of course, talking to everybody, um, you've obviously identified there's a need for an organization like YG Garden Suites to start. Maybe tell us when did this started and when was, I guess, the critical moment when you realized, no, there's a need and people, we want to help advocate for this type of um, development in Edmonton. Yeah, so it's it's kind of funny because we were going around talking to all these different people and word was kind of spreading. I mean, not really spreading, but kind of spreading and people would be contacting us asking, well, can you tell me about what to do here? Like, I want to do this. And eventually there were some community members who were like, well, maybe you can hold a hold a session in one of our living rooms. Um, we thought, okay, now let's just book a library because we're getting a lot of a lot of inquiries. So we were we just put down the, the 30 bucks for the library booking for 30 people kind of thing. It's five bucks a ticket. We called up, you know, the city of Edmonton. We said, hey, we're we're yeah, Garden Suites, which was a name we just came up with out of thin air. And uh, there's a bunch of people that want to know about Garden Suites. Can you like send out some of your planners and maybe they can talk? And, you know, we did that with people from, you know, the bank, CIBC. That uh, was the first one we had out with us. We had a variety of banks over the years, have some of their, their mortgage specialists come out and talk about the financing angles, have uh, builders talk about, well, what does it look like with me? How does that work? Um, and you had all these different industry members um, kind of coming to one place. And for the first 30 person booking, that sold out in, in two days. So we just put it up on Eventbrite. We didn't really do a whole lot of advertising, sold out in two days. And we were like, okay, maybe we should book a larger venue. So it was a three-part workshop. So for part two, we booked uh, the inside of a, a school classroom. We were like, okay, we can get this for a hundred bucks. So we'll do a classroom, 60 person capacity, and that sold out in about a week. So we thought, okay, geez, really underestimating the interest here. Um, So we booked a gymnasium um, and then that sold out in about three, four weeks. And we had about 120, 130 people uh, in the gym, kind of a trade show style situation, bunch of desks and buildings. And we were like, okay, wait a minute. There's there's actually an, an incredible amount of interest here. Everybody wants to know how to how to do this, and nobody's really um, sharing that information. So uh, it was a, it was a fantastic time because we were sort of nobodies, um, but also at the same time, two people who knew the most about the big picture for garden suites specifically 
because it's a pretty niche topic. Like we're specifically one housing form. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of homes in in Edmonton. So it was pretty niche at the time, but we were very surprised to discover that a lot of people were were really intrigued, wanted to get involved. It's a big investment. Um, and we were hearing after the events how grateful people were to have a space to learn about them uh, just because of the level of confusion for a homeowner who's who's trying to do a project like this. You know, these are not professional developers. Every project is basically a one and done. Uh, these are ordinary Edmontonians who don't really have the guidance and resources um, to build these kinds of homes. And if you're feeling like you're lost, but you're thinking about spending two hundred to $250,000 on, on a suite, that's a pretty scary place to be. So we were filling a that void and that was where we thought okay there's a lot of interest um and we thought maybe one day there could be a thousand of these things two thousand uh, but the rules weren't quite there yet and we thought okay there is a, a place here for us to fill a, a pretty niche advocacy role um, but also to work with a lot more homeowners and i will say my partner ashley was on the board of idea at the time and idea was doing incredible work kind of throughout the whole sphere of infill, uh, but not really filling that role for just homeowners because that wasn't really their, their mandate at the time. There was so much more to do. Uh, so so it was a spot where we could take our, our energy, our youthful exuberance, and uh, really invest it into trying to advocate for, for these people. I find that fascinating that you completely underestimated the the interest at the start and how fast it kind of blew up. I'm curious, um, the people that came to those first workshops that were at the library or in the school classroom, um, why why did they want a garden suite? Was it all kind of a unified reason or was it a little bit all over the place? Like what, what was the main driver for people wanting a garden suite? The main drivers have stayed about the same, but the people who get through the story shifts. So a lot of people who built in the early days, the ones who made it to the end were typically the ones building for family uh, and also the ones who could withstand, you know, the risk of $10,000 possibly, you know, you paid for all your drawings, your applications, that sort of stuff. Um, and you could, you could get denied, right? Um, so if you were going to go and do this sort of project, you had to have a really strong rationale. So we were meeting a lot of people who were building for accessibility reasons. So to age in place or, uh, you know, a disability could have kind of cropped up over the years or perhaps there was an injury, that sort of thing. Um, or they had a child who was, you know, developing. Um, maybe they were going to school. Maybe they were becoming an adult. Um, they could have a disability but are still able to live independently. So um, they would live in a garden suite next to home where they basically have their whole thing going on, but if they did need support, um, they could go to their family. And so we were seeing a lot of those kinds of arrangements early on. And then there was the whole other side of things where people were interested in doing these for rental, but at the same time, they were not sure about building a rental in their backyard. They weren't sure about, okay, how do I actually think about if this is a good investment for me? Um, those sorts of questions. Um, so those were the reasons. And then there's also just a mix of people who anticipate that these could be factors in their life. So they've got their house and they're like, well, I've got a kid and they're like two, I could build it for rental now. And then when they get to university age, they could live there. Um, so there's sort of that flexibility across the lifespan. And they could be thinking that once their kids are out of the house, they're going to live in, in the suite and rent the house and get a condo in Arizona, you know. We, we met a lot of people doing these sort of flexible arrangements um, where, they're, where they're thinking not just in the immediate term, what purpose is it gonna serve, but over the long term as well. Interesting, and you said that, um, that you know, the, the reason for wanting a garden suite, that hasn't really evolved um, or changed much over time, hey? Yeah, I mean, we see sort of the same many reasons. We got multi-generational living, aging in place, rental housing, um, flexible across the lifespan. Those, those are pretty compelling reasons. Um, I will say that through the COVID pandemic, a uh, massive premium emerged on living close 
to family. And so we had an incredible year that year, you know, it was like 40% year over year growth because people were just like, I got to bring my family closer to home. This is not really working for me. Um, and I think that those preferences have stuck a little bit. So we do see a little bit more of the multi-generational side these days, um, especially where the cost of construction is making the financial investment side of things uh, a little bit less attractive in, in a lot of areas. So people are, are erring towards, well, I'm, I'm not investing in this to make money. I'm investing in this because I want to have family close. So that, that can have a lot of influence on what gets built. Something positive coming out of the uh, pandemic. That's that's interesting. Um, you, you touched on a few things related to the hurdles, but I'm curious if, if you can elaborate a little bit. Like, what were the the main hurdles at that at that time when you started it? Was it a, a lack of awareness or a lack of you know understanding of what goes into it? Was it kind of a regulatory side or a financing side? You brought all these people together at that first workshop, but what were kind of the the main hurdles um, to prevent people from from doing the garden suites before you got involved? Yeah, so I mean, just when we were getting involved, garden suites were still not a uh, a permitted use. They were a discretionary use, uh, which meant that every application went basically before all of your neighbors within 60 meters of your house, uh, which is pretty far. It's like a couple of properties over um, and they could appeal it. You'd end up at the subdivision developments appeals board. And if you're just like an ordinary person being told that, okay, now you've got to go to the subdivision development appeals board. That's intimidating, right? Um, especially if there's going to be a neighbor there who's, who's furious about the effects on your, your parking on the street, right? And so that was a major hurdle because people didn't necessarily want to make an enemy of their neighbor um, or didn't know if they would because you have to understand at the time, nobody really knew if, if everyone was going to find garden suites to be just completely objectionable. There were so few of them. So that was a major hurdle. The financial hurdle is and was a major hurdle, um, especially if you aren't necessarily well acquainted with how financing works for your own personal development projects. Um, A lot of people were going to mortgage brokers or just saying, okay, I'm going to need a mortgage here and not really understanding that there's there's a process for this kind of build. so people would get hung up on that because they go to a bank and the bank didn't know what to do with them. There was also kind of the social pressure. Um, people had seen how people had reacted to certain forms of infill and didn't necessarily want to be on the other side of that. So to create a positive learning environment was beneficial as well. Um, and then parking, you know, at, at the original days was a hurdle because it was three stalls. You needed two for the main house one for the suite. So if you were on like a 33 wide lot, that's a tough squeeze. A lot of these, uh, these days are gone. So, so it's really opened the door to a lot more projects. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you must've seen like, now you talk about garden suites are permitted everywhere kind of thing. Right. So it's, um, the, the evolution of even the regulatory side of things has made it more permissive. Have you seen kind of that same evolution in in the financing side or uh, the construction side as well? Uh, it's interesting on, on the financing side, it's, it's fairly similar to what it was when we started on the building side, industry knowledge has really expanded in the space. It used to be that a builder would say, okay, you want me to do this backyard suite? Like I can, I, maybe I can do that for you. Maybe I can't, I haven't done one before and I haven't seen one done. These days, a lot more builders are experienced with garden suites. They know how they would set up a project for for a typical person. Um, and certain builders make it clear on their websites, like, I yes, I can do a garden suite. I'm familiar with this. Um, and I, I think this is a, a positive development because there were a number of builders who maybe didn't understand the complexity in the early days because I think they built a number of houses on what are essentially... Uh, bare land lots uh, in infill settings, but it's it can be challenging to build basically in a backyard and try and keep the the main dwelling intact, keep utilities running, have your temporary service, that kind of stuff. Um, so the, on that side of things, industry knowledge has really improved. 
And then kind of last thing I want to ask about is, is how involved did Yeg Garden Suite get with some of the, um, I guess, the changes in the zoning bylaw related to like Garden Suites becoming permitted uses? Obviously, you, you must have been a, a fan of the open option parking changes that, that came about to reduce those parking requirements for you. But how involved did, uh, did Yeg Garden Suites get with kind of advocacy at the, at the municipal level about changing some of these regulations that were hurdles? Yeah, we, we became deeply involved uh, basically right out of the gates. Um, the City of Edmonton has pretty fantastic engagement, and we made sure to get our names in there as stakeholders and involve ourselves in evolving infill, evolving infill 2.0, uh, the missing middle zoning review, um, and, and as you mentioned, open option parking. Every one of these issues, we wanted to be uh, kind of there at the gates talking about why we want to see uh, yes, we love the changes for all these variety of other zonings, but also uh, if we can get these changes through for garden suites, that'd be fantastic. And one of the, one of the angles that I really enjoyed that we took was to bring out um, suite owners who had encountered the hurdles that some of these regulations had posed them and bring them to you know a city council meeting to be that positive voice from community to say look i wanted to do this it was really challenging for these reasons um i want to see these things too so it's not just uh industry people knocking at the door at these committee meetings with community saying we don't want change we also had community members coming out saying actually we support these changes and would like to see more um so we got really involved on that side of things and we're involved with the the zoning bylaw renewal until kind of summer 2021 um, when when our mandate shifted a little bit away from from advocacy we don't tend to do uh, too much advocacy any longer just to avoid conflict um i'm going to switch things up a little bit and actually talk a little bit about design um because you've talked about how the industry knowledge has really improved and i feel like the design of these spaces also have evolved over time so maybe speak a bit, um, if you could speak a little bit about how they have evolved. Universal design is also like a really big topic. The multi-generational living is also something that's come to light and also affordability as well too. Yeah, I mean, on the design front, a lot has changed. A lot of that's coming out of sort of the way the regulations were, were set up. Uh, one of the most obvious design changes that I think uh, you'll see throughout Edmonton is what happened when the six square meter exemption for interior stairs was introduced. So there's this really interesting typology of garden suites with exterior stairs that existed before 2017, because basically you could get two bedrooms into a 60 square meter upstairs suite if you put the stairs on the outside, but if you put them on the inside, it wouldn't fit. And so you had all of these apartments being built in a winter city that has snow, that has ice, uh, with exterior stairs. And that obviously creates an accessibility challenge. It's also maybe a little less attractive for an ordinary person. So um, that's like one design element that I think is really interesting for me as someone who is sort of paying attention all the way along. I'm like, aha, this one was built back when you got a stair exemption or before the stair exemption. That that's sort of the one side of things. Another subtle change that happened was the the floor area um, maximum. It used to be sixty square meters, and people would put that all on the second story. But it was reduced to fifty, and then they allowed seventy five square meters total, and then they allowed the entirety of the building up to one hundred and thirty square meters to be livable floor area. So then we started to see more kind of split level garden suites. Um, and occasionally what amounts to basically a house being built without a garage. We see a few of those. So there's areas where design has, has shifted and universal design becomes more possible when you start to have uh, kind of this greater amount of floor allowed, especially if it's allowed at grade. So that was another major shift. Uh, there was also a change in the way that architects approached designing suites. So we were starting to see a lot more vaulted ceilings, places to hide windows. Storage is an issue. So storage solutions, seeing a lot of those. Privacy innovations as well. 
So you'll see ways that people kind of hide their balconies or, or create shade or, or slats to block some of the viewing angles. All these sort of changes add up to garden suites today look kind of different from the original ones, maybe six or seven years ago. And that stairway exemption and elevator exemption one, especially on the universal design front, it's unbelievable how big of a shift that was, considering it's just like a, a very small line of text in, in the zoning bylaw. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Have you seen any design applications in terms of sustainability? Because it is a smaller, it's a smaller square footage and you could experiment a bit more with using certain building materials that have um, a sustainable life cycle or, you know, in a body, like a specific body carbon that, um, you know, they would employ. Or is that still not really feasible for the finances behind it? You know, I think where we see those sustainability builds, um, finances aren't aren't the only value that, that those people are, are thinking about. And, um, you know, we've seen those net zero suites. The first one was built uh, over in West Mountain. There's, there's quite a few these days. Um, one of the things on the sustainability front I think is really exciting for garden suites is how regularly their roofs are basically used as the power plant for for an entire property just you know we have street facing trees in the city of edmonton so there can be shade on principal dwellings that are right up against the streets but in the alley there doesn't tend to be the same amount of of canopy and so people they go back there they look at okay i've got a bunch of one-story garages around this if i put a garden suite up I can basically cover the entire roof in solar panels and none of it will ever be obstructed. So we see a lot of, of solar panel roofs being put on garden suites um, just because of the access to sunlight. That's really interesting to hear. Do you have any that you can think of that's in the city right now that I could potentially drive by and take a look? <laughs> uh, I can pass along some addresses. I think one of them was on the Eco Solar Homes Tour or maybe even an idea tour point but you can also find them really easily through the city of edmonton's open data portal um because if you if you isolate for the garden suite it's pretty easy to find where they, they'll also tell you like i'm putting a solar panel on this garden suite and so you can hunt them all down it's pretty awesome that is perfect i will do that over the weekend <laughs> And I want to go back to, again, the organization and sort of how it's operating currently. And of course, you know, where you see it grow in the future. So I, I think I, when I went on your website, your, there were a lot of activities that um, your organization does currently offer. So you have the workshop, the tours, events and consultations. Um, maybe elaborate a little bit on some of those. Yeah, so we have a tour coming up on April 30th, um, and it's amazing. Even after all these years, uh, we hold several several workshops um, a, a year, and, and every time we have well over 100 attendees. Um, and so April 30th, we're going to be talking this time about the proposed changes under the zoning bylaw renewal um, so that you can get kind of the most up-to-date information on what's coming. The changes that are coming are incredible and I think will make uh, Edmonton probably the most permissive uh, jurisdiction in, in North America for, for what you can do in a backyard in terms of uh, housing, number of units of housing, which kind of typologies it's allowed with. Um, so really exciting changes coming through with there and you're going to get to hear about them at our, at our upcoming workshop. The next one that we, we do, and I'm hoping to get started again here soon, are tours. Um, put a big pause on tours during COVID. Uh, basically, we would open up six, eight, nine suites um, that we would talk the owners into letting us show off. Um, and then 100 or so people would kind of pass through all of these different garden suites over the course of an afternoon. Uh, obviously, uh, things around sort of privacy have, have shifted due to the pandemic, but um, feeling like it's it's almost time to start thinking about asking people to open their doors once again. And there's a lot of interest in seeing in person what, what these small spaces are like, right? 
Um, so really exciting to do tours. Also do consultations. So if someone wants to know what can I do specifically on my property, um, that's something I'm happy to help people understand and how they can get basically to to the starting line of the process. So once you have your team together and you understand how to how to be in a position to have your financing, your permitting, your builder contract in place, that sort of stuff. Um, so those are generally the services that we offer and the way that we try and build um, kind of knowledge and get people going. Well, that's super exciting. And we can find all of that on the website, right? Like event, the tour dates, et cetera, and where to get tickets. That's right. Awesome. So I, it, it really does sound like your organization is growing and it's expanding and it's, it's, it has evolved from where it came from, you know, when we started this episode that you talked about a bit about sort of its roots. Do you think the core, the core goals and the core priorities are still there or, you know, have they shifted and it's not so much about this anymore, but maybe about something towards how the city is also growing too, like with you know, how it's changing with virtual? That's a fantastic question. And, and yeah, things have really shifted. Um, when we got started, you know, we sort of had a list of the regulatory changes that we wanted to see. And at this point, I mean, we have succeeded. Hooray, right? When I look at what's coming through the zoning bylaw renewal, uh, there's not a lot that I'm I'm looking at saying, this is a major barrier that's going to get in the way of a lot of people. And really detract from from what we could have. So the advocacy side, like I said, uh, that is something that we really aren't aren't involved in anymore. There's there's other areas, uh, I'm sure on the infill spectrum that that ideas advocating on, but on the garden suite side of things, we're uh, we're pretty happy campers. And as a result, the the mandate of the organization has really moved away from advocacy and, and more towards awareness and education. Um, like I said uh, earlier, every time someone builds a garden suite, the vast majority of the time, that's the one time in their life they're going to build a garden suite. So we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of homeowners in or property owners in Edmonton. Um, and there's always going to be a need at various times and stages of people's lives where they're thinking about whether or not a garden suite would work for them. And that is the audience that really we work to to support these days um, so that they have access to the, the most relevant uh, information and, and ideas about how to move forward. Are there goals to expand into other cities across Canada um, or interact with other relevant groups that um, that might get, yeah, that might that might be interested in what in garden suites? Yeah, so there there are some similar organizations in other cities in Canada, um, like Vancouver and Toronto, of course. But we do have um, sort of a partner expansion in Calgary. Um, we're getting that kind of going again and set up with with some local leadership there. And I think one of the reasons why I think this is most exciting as as a local advocacy effort is really how on the ground you need to be to be advocating for property owners in your in your jurisdiction. Like I was talking about earlier, how we would bring those people into our local council uh, to get them to advocate uh, sort of from a community community lens. I think that's an exciting thing to encourage. And that's what we're trying to do in Calgary as well. That's so cool. Um, and how do you think Edmonton stacks up against other municipalities across North America related to garden suite regulations and, of course, the interest from the public in building them. Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, you could argue that we have, we're kind of in the same tier as any of the other top jurisdictions in North America for for allowing garden suites or, or accessory, detached accessory dwelling units. It's sort of a more academic term for them. And here you can basically build on, on any ordinary lot on, on basic zoning. And so in Edmonton, hundreds of thousands of lots uh, it's possible on. And so we're in, we're in a similar bracket to other cities. But what's interesting about Edmonton is we don't really look like those cities in terms of why we did it. If you look at Vancouver or Portland, their housing markets are, are overheating. And there's really restrictive zoning. And this was sort of a, a small change that they could make to 
try and release a little bit of that pressure. Whereas Edmonton's sort of been ahead of the game, trying to make sure that we have accessible zoning that that is attractive to build long before we're in a housing crisis. So good on us for that. Looking at what's what's coming with the zoning bylaw renewal, um, I might suggest we be number one. So hopefully these all go through. Okay, so Travis, you talked a little bit about um, a lot of the accomplishments. It seems like, you know, mission accomplished. Uh, So I got to ask first, you know, if you're moving on from garden suites, what's the next housing typology that you're really excited about? Well, uh, you know, we've talked about sort of the zoning changes uh, that have happened and and sort of the accomplishments around that. I want to make a big plug here for IDEA. I think they were absolutely integral to the the entire force that we were we were riding that wave with you, and I'm I'm looking at what the changes under the zoning bylaw renewal mean for garden suites. So uh, we haven't touched on this yet, but we're actually getting a new name. Uh, so it's an identity crisis for Yeg Garden Suites because it's turning into backyard housing. So I guess get your backyard housing. When I look at the changes that are coming for backyard housing and what can be allowed where, I think it is incredibly exciting and uh, possibly not really on uh, builders' radar or or developers' radar. You're going to be able to have multiple attaching garden suites on the lot, um, and you don't necessarily need to have um, a duplex or a row house in the front any longer. So uh, perhaps you have a single family home on a pie lot next to an LRT. Uh, I know of several examples like this uh, where the backyard is, I mean, it's enormous and the property could fit two houses more or less back there and a garage. The investment potential for something like that is pretty compelling. And so looking at backyard housing, I think there's going to be a lot of what can I really do this questions for for property owners. And I think that's an exciting opportunity. Still sticking with garden suites. Uh, It's mission accomplished on the advocacy front, but helping people understand what they can do and how to do it. Um, Still lots of room for, for our organization to serve that niche. Yeah, even with a new name. So uh, I, I got to ask about, you know, do you ever see a future where subdivisions uh, of these um, garden suites are ever going to be a thing or condominiumization, stratification, anything like that? So subdivision, I think, is is kind of unlikely. We did do, the city did do a pilot, um, but condominiumization is going to be allowed in the new rules. So um, that'll open up a whole new opportunity. I'm not sure how it'll be sort of handled by banks, but for the city to open that regulatory door uh, will allow them to sort of explore that area. Um, I think they'll they'll probably have some challenges figuring out how they're going to value a condo garden suite and, and how they're going to lend out a mortgage. Um, but that's not on the city side, that's on the financing side. So really excited to see that change coming through. And I know there's a ton of people uh, who'd like to take that approach. For sure. What about uh, non-residential uses? I've seen, I, there's actually one garden suite um, that I walk by pretty frequently. I'm not going to say where it is just in case it's not allowed, but uh, they have a, a sign on the door that advertises for like a psychologist's office or something up there. Are you seeing um, kind of a demand or, or, or a push more towards using these as kind of like office spaces or home-based business type things? Totally. Um, that was another regulation that we really fought to to have allowed. So being able to have a major home-based business inside of a garden suite. Um, we started to see this sort of demand cropping up from exactly the kind of people that you just spoke about. So psychologist, masseuse, hair salon, like hair, hairstylist. I was speaking with one person. They were telling me that their, their styling space on White Avenue was a very large figure on a monthly basis, more than enough to pay for basically a garden suite at the time. So yeah, I couldn't believe it, but their rent was that high. Um, and they lived 
pretty nearby to White Avenue. So um, you see them looking at at the economics of having their own space and working from there. And it can make sense for, for certain professions. Okay, last one that's a little bit wacky. And I know we're talking about backyard housing, but you ever see a situation where we where we might get some front yard uh, front yard garden suites? Some of these older older houses, older lots have gigantic front yard setbacks. Maybe there's some room in the front for a garden suite. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I I see those all the time. You know, it's like a bowling alley before you even get to the the door, right? Um, I think that under the the zoning bylaw renewal, you'll be able to just put another dwelling up there and. Maybe you'll need to classify the one in the back as a backyard house and away you go. Right. Nice. Well, yeah, Travis, this has been fantastic. And I, I think I speak for both Olivia and myself. We learned a lot. So the last thing we do on every episode is allow our guests to uh, have a call to action. You know, you get a couple of unfettered minutes where you can uh, speak directly to our listeners and tell them to, uh, to go do something or read something or whatever you think is relevant. So here's your opportunity. What's your call to action? Okay, well, you know, this is the the idea podcast. I imagine there's a good number of industry members listening. Uh, so I want to extend the invitation to you know, builders, developers, investors, and property owners. Uh, if you are looking in the back of your properties and you think there's an opportunity in there, uh, feel free to reach out, get in touch with me if you'd like to understand uh, how backyard housing might fit with your business. Uh, but if you're interested in building a suite for yourself uh, and want to see how, how our workshops uh, roll, you can hear from me and visit uh, our workshop on April 30th. And you can get tickets at yeggardensuites.com. Excellent. Thank you very much for being on the show today, Travis. Um, We look forward to having you back on when uh, when we're talking about uh, your next endeavors. It's been really great talking. Well, thanks for having me, everybody. So Olivia, we can't leave today without, um, you know, introducing one of our sponsors. Today, it's Alaire Homes, who just happened to be one of the featured homes on the infill tour that happened last week on April 28th. Um, If you don't know, for over 10 years, Allaire's been a leader in the uh, urban redevelopment and builder space in Edmonton. They've won a ton of awards. They have got stunning infill homes. And they, what I really like about them is that they believe that art doesn't just live in a gallery or on your walls or, you know, in your phone in an NFT format. Um, It also lives in our communities. That's why they see infill homes as works of art themselves. They're created by artisans and craftspeople that help beautify and enrich our mature neighborhoods in Edmonton. If you want to know more, you can visit www.alairedmonton.com to learn more about their incredible work. Ryan, I found that this one ties very nicely with Travis's episode because we were talking about garden suites and um, Alaire featured the Cliff House Lane as part of the Idea Infill Tour. And this is located at the end of a lane at the top of the river valley overlooking Riverdale and the North Saskatchewan River. Uh, Cliff House Lane will be Edmonton's smallest laneway home, interestingly enough. At 368 square feet, the uniquely engineered, architecturally stunning urban home is built above a single garage. Yeah, and the smaller space is actually kind of fascinating. It's It, it still is easily powered by the solar array that's featured on the roof. It's got modern building standards, so it's a it, it's small, but it's highly efficient. Um, and sustainable living options. So um, we were told that the inspiration from the project came from the owner's choices to live in downtown Edmonton and their passion for great architecture and living small, which is very cool. Um, the homeowners definitely appreciate the lifestyle of living close to downtown and close to the core within walking distance to everything. You know, downtown has everything from, you know, cafes and grocery stores and lots of, lots of entertainment options, the river valley, multi-use trails. So Cliff Lane House kind of capitalized on that location. And uh, it's about creating an opportunity for others to try out urban living and experience the benefits of uh, living a less car dependent lifestyle. You know, it's a small space, but it provides that opportunity. Um, it's also, you know, one of Edmonton's best infill communities in Riverdale. Um, so I, we just want to reiterate, be sure to check it out next time you're in the, in the neighborhood and definitely check out alairedmonton.com for more information. So Olivia, you and I were joking before we started recording with, with Travis that um, garden suites aren't our forte. Now, I thought for sure that I knew a lot about garden suites. And then Travis came on here and just kind of blew my mind with a bunch of information and knowledge that I hadn't even considered. Did you feel the same way? I absolutely feel the same way. There was a lot. There was a lot to, there was a lot to absorb. 
And there was so much um, depth to also uh, what what goes into a garden suite as well. Agreed. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny about how he was talking about, um, you know, how far they've come. They started with, you know, before Yeg Garden Suites was a thing in 2017, there was about 150 suites, I think he said. And then now there's, um, like I said in the intro, there's 725 that are approved by the city. Maybe there's more, I don't know. But um, to grow like five times in four years, that really shows that uh, Travis and his co-founder, um, identified, like correctly identified a niche that needed some support and expanded. Like it's, it's unbelievable how fast they grew. Like their first, like it was talking about in that first workshop that was in like a library room. Now all of a sudden they're like, you know, selling out a couple workshops a year. They're renting out gymnasiums. Like lots of people are getting involved. I find it fascinating. And they very clearly, like I said, identified a need. So um, what did what did you kind of like from the uh, or what stuck out to you from the conversation? Um, I definitely really love the long term thinking that happens with garden suites and how this bigger scale to how these type of spaces are actually very very important to our city. Mm-hmm. So I love that I love that it doesn't just it's not just about adding another residence to where you live, but there's ideas of multi generational living. And living close to family, um, ideas of accessibility, and the idea of affordable housing comes into mind as well. Because, you know, homeownership is something that's a really, that one's very hard to attain for a lot of people. And with a garden suite or with a secondary residence like this, you could definitely still live with your family. But you'd have that, you, you could save money at the same time, build up your own asset. And also gain some independence, um, whether you're younger, whether you're, you know, sort of in your younger 20s trying to um, trying to save up and be independent yourself or whether you're in the older, older, older generation and you can have your own space to still go out for walks, go to get your own groceries. And yeah, it's actually very empowering. I agree. Yeah. You and I were talking beforehand, like there's, I always just assumed that garden suites were for like an affordability thing for homeowners that they could like rent out a a suite in their backyard to help with their income. It's just like a basement suite, but yeah, like, yeah. Do you know anybody that lives in in a garden suite or garage suite? I don't. That's (laughs) why I'm terrible with all the trivia that you asked me in the intro, Ryan. (laughs) Uh, I would have been bad too, but regardless, yeah, I know two people that live in, in garden suites or did at one point, one was uh, a single parent. So um, they were doing it very much for the affordability thing. So um, recently divorced, uh, it was, you know, the cheapest, but still nicest type of unit that they could purchase or that they could uh, live in. And then the other one is, was a student. So there's, you know, but you have, uh, you were telling me about some examples from other countries where um, like intergenerational um, kind of living is, is kind of a key for her, kind of like an interesting dynamic of this uh, housing type. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, so they don't have, I, 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 th- I think um, parts of definitely in Asia, uh, they're, I don't know if it's garden suite specifically, but they definitely, um, it, like intergenerational living and multi-generational living is really common. First of all, it's very cultural. You know, you are supposed to uh, take care of your grandparents. Um, you live with your grandparents. Like it's very common in Japan and even in Hong Kong to live with um, to live with your parents till you get married. And then, you know, you'd have a little bit of your own property uh, somewhere between then. But then once your parents reach a certain age where they don't have that level of independence, you are supposed to um, you are supposed to take them in and you're supposed to live with them for until they until they do pass on. So it's actually very like culturally, it's super it's very, very accepted and I know also that like places like Japan, they build very vertically and it's always, it's always in this very like, urban city and super dense. So everything does get built. Um, it does get built upwards versus horizontal. But yeah, the what would happen is that oldest generation would live at the main floor because it's, you know, easily accessible. And then you have the more younger generation or the family, a young family would live on the second and the third floor second and the third floor so it's kind of cool so i i relate to that because i really i relate to that because um when i grew up my grandma lived with me for a really good chunk of my um my childhood 
Interesting. This is this is like the so the backyard housing, the garden suite housing. This is like the Canadian version of that almost. Hey, like we live on the same parcel as uh, our our we can live on the same parcel of land as our parents and grandparents, but we have that little bit of separation between our house and uh, and where they're living. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's kind of I think it's great. I think it's great that it's it's such a new way to look at um, how to live together and how to also make your neighborhoods more vibrant and diverse because. You know, back then, you the dream was to live in a suburb house or the dream was to eventually when you hit 23, 24, whatever, and you had your own income, you are supposed to move out. You're not supposed to live with your. No, you're not supposed to live with your parents. No, it looks bad. It looks bad if you do. It looks bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looks bad. Can't get dates, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the thing that I found fascinating, too, was he was talking about. Um, what they've seen is how garden suites have become kind of the power plant for the entire property. So like covering the roof of a power plant or the roof of a garden suite or garage suite with like uh, photovoltaics and kind of powering the main house and also powering everything that you need there. I found that fascinating. And as kind of an anecdote, um, we're obviously like, uh, because of you know, the last 20 years and of policy changes and government subsidies, like solar energy is at its most inexpensive now than it ever has been. So we're seeing a lot more of it. Um, so I had actually somebody come out uh, and do a, like a look at my garage, because it's my garage is south facing, um, whether or not he they could install like photovoltaics on there and what it would power and like half the roof basically on my garage would power my entire house and everything which is which is crazy so it's actually a very viable way of um i don't want to say living off grid but like um provide like providing your own energy and providing your own electricity to your house um and you know having that second story in the garage suite like travis mentioned like there's not a lot of trees in backyards so you're not shaded by as many things as you would be if you put it on the house um the roof angles are usually very simple so yeah i found that fascinating it's something i didn't even think of but um yeah I, now that i've heard of it i walked around my neighborhood a little bit uh um over the weekend and saw a garage suite that had photovoltaics on it so there it's already happening it's it's something you know that's been happening right before right before our our eyes here olivia and we didn't even notice but travis is on it thankfully that's so cool i do have to go look up what was that we talked about earlier? The open data portal. <laughs> City yes. of Edmonton. I will look for, I will, go, I want to look at the properties and see where they are doing those um, mini power plants on, 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 on the property. That's that I did find that very fascinating as well. He mentioned, I remember Travis mentioned um, the term backyard suites, which was, which I think on his website, he has, I think it's an affiliate or a partner in Calgary that they work with and they are, it's coined Calgary backyard suites versus, versus garden suites versus YG garden suites, which is what we have in Edmonton. And it's interesting because Ryan, you mentioned that this zoning bylaw renewal actually quotes backyard housing. So maybe they're trying to fit a bigger umbrella. And when I looked at this, the definition, the garden suite at the city of Edmonton is an accessory building that contains a dwelling, which is located separate from the principal use. And that principal use is single detached housing, semi-detached or multi-unit. Um, and a backyard suite is actually a self-contained residence that is detached from the main residence. And garage suites actually fall under this umbrella. So uh. yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it covers a bigger category. Ryan, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's funny that, yeah, I wonder when those definitions came out in Calgary. But yeah, so Calgary, what you're saying is here in Edmonton, we actually define where garden suites, that they're accessory to, and then we define the principal dwelling, which is like a single family house, a semi-detached or a multi-unit row house. But in Calgary, they're just saying it's detached from the main residence, but they're not saying what that main residence is. Is that right? They are saying it's detached from the main residence, but... Yeah, but uh, but not saying like... Yeah, exactly. They don't say what the main residence is. I find that fascinating. I think we can learn something from Calgary. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I don't really have a lot of thoughts other than that, but it's it's funny that we kind of define where garden suites can go, whereas in Calgary, and we're considered kind of on the cutting edge, like Travis said, of garden suite regulations. But then in Calgary, 
there seems to be more flexibility. So yeah, maybe something's coming with the zoning bylaw renewal with uh, with backyard housing here, and it, it's it'll be a little bit more permissive. Yeah, agree. It's something a little bit more flexible too. So it's not just fixed into this one form that we see or your typical YG garden space. Yeah. Who do we need to shout out today? Well, today I actually want to shout out to Davi. Davi was actually at the infill event that was hosted in March, and it was really great running into you. Keep shooting those really great, beautiful photographs. So Davi's a photographer, so she's actually, her photographs are actually really beautiful, but keep doing what you love, Davi. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, for sure. That's all I have for today, Ryan. Other than that, that was a really great episode. Agreed. Thanks for hanging out with me, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Olivia.